When's the last time that you witnessed somebody do something um, that was highly questionable? And not highly questionable in a negative way, highly questionable in a positive way. Like you saw somebody do something that was so out of the norm, so beyond what you usually see, that you said, I need to know why they're doing what they're doing. Their behavior, their action demands an answer. Um, I, I, as I was thinking about this question, and as you process it, I couldn't, think of, I couldn't think of a recent time that I've seen that. I could think of highly questionable behavior that was not good that I've seen recently, or I, I think most uh, highly questionable behavior, behavior that we see is just kind of confusing. So, so for instance, the last highly questionable behavior that I saw was my wife um, collecting bones uh, from this chicken that she made. And she was like, keep the bones after dinner. I was like, why are you, like, what, what is, like, I just made, do I want to know what's happening with these bones? Like, what, what's going on? Well, it turns out she wanted to make this bone broth soup that apparently gives you superhuman powers and makes your immune system stronger. And it turned out to be great. But I couldn't think of the last time that I've seen highly questionable behavior in a positive light that made me say, I got to know why that person is doing what they're doing. That is so out of the ordinary. That is so amazing. That's so helpful. That's so kind. I need to know. And as we talk about this series, uh, uh, Ecclesiology 101, what the church is supposed to be according to uh, the New Testament, according to, the, to God's word, the scriptures, one of the things that we, we've seen is that the church has a mission. This, this people who have received grace from Jesus, they have a mission. They have a task. And it's related to God's big mission. And God's big mission is to renew and redeem all creation through the work of Jesus uh, for his glory. And then the church's mission within that is to participate in that work by helping people who know Jesus follow Jesus more and helping those who don't know Jesus see and know and understand Jesus through the gospel. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, last week we talked about or, or the week before we talked about um, what is the definition of the mission of the church? How would you define that? What does the scripture say about that? What we're looking at today is the practical. How do you do? Jesus calls his followers. He invites all of us to receive his grace and then to participate in his work by, by making uh, the gospel uh, known to others, making it understandable to others giving them the opportunity and space to hear it, investigate, and examine. So we're talking about how do we actually do that. And here's one of the things that we're going to see from this text today in 1 Peter, is that questionable living is absolutely essential to fulfilling the mission of the church. That questionable living is key to what it means to follow Jesus and see the gospel go out to our neighbors, friends, go out to people who maybe have not encountered it yet. That the how of the mission of the church, making Jesus known so people can hear of the creator who came to redeem them and love them, part of the how of that is questionable living. So let's look at this text. We're going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. This whole series we've been in 1 Peter. Uh, we spent our first two weeks in 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 and 10. But today we're going to be in 1 Peter uh, 3, uh, 14 
through 16. And some of the context for this is uh, Peter was one of Jesus's boys, one of his uh, inner three of Jesus's 12 disciples. And he's writing uh, this letter to, uh, to a collection of, uh, of believers in the first century um, that are enduring uh, persecution. They're enduring physical violence and harm because of their faith in Jesus. And, and so a big theme of First Peter is suffering. And how do you endure suffering? How do you hold to hope in suffering? And so a big theme of this letter is, is, uh, is holding to your hope in Jesus through the trials of life and through the ups and downs of suffering. And so in this, uh, we're, and I set that up because we're kind of plopping in the middle of what Peter is saying. But Peter is basically going to urge them and tell them, uh, you're, you're, you're suffering, but hold your hope. And here's how to live in the midst of this suffering. Here's what he says in 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, your persecutors, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So here, here, notice what, what Peter is saying. He's writing to people who are suffering. He's writing to people who are dealing with physical persecution for their, uh, for their uh, belief um, and love for Jesus. And Peter is telling them, hey, you're enduring this type of trouble um, because you're actually doing what's good. So understand that if trouble is coming your way, even as you're doing good, you're blessed. You're congratulated. This is, this is actually uh, something that is hard, but you know what? This is actually a, a, good, a good thing in the fact that it shows um, that your hope is real and that you're seeing it and that you're holding on to it. And then Peter gives, him, uh, gives them instructions on how to deal with that type of suffering, how to deal with that type of trial. He tells them to honor Christ. Says, or first, even before that, he says, uh, don't be afraid in 14. He says, have no fear. He says, honor Christ. Then he says, be ready when people ask about the hope in you. And then he says this, do so with respect, do so with gentleness, and keep doing good so that when people talk bad about you, everybody else says, well, they actually live good lives. So the people who talk bad about you look silly while Jesus has shown off. And that's what Peter is laying out here. But here's the first thing that I want us to see. I think this text can be pulled out and worked through in terms of the themes of suffering and hope and persevering. But I want to pull out a specific thing from this text for us to look at today because it's massively important for us as a new church in the city. And I think it's massively important for anybody trying to either examine following Jesus or trying to grow in following Jesus. Um, and, and here's the thing that I want us to see. That First Peter 3 15 assumes that people who do not believe in Jesus will ask people who do believe in Jesus about the hope that they have. Peter is assuming that it's a normal uh, interaction for people who don't believe in Jesus to ask people who do believe in Jesus, why do you live that way? Tell me about the hope that you have because the way that these believers in Jesus live is so unique and so different from what you would think based on their circumstances. And I think if you're a Christian, I, 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 would, I would guess you probably overlook this. I know I do, right? Think of, think of how jarring it is. If you find out, you go to work or, or, or your office or whatever tomorrow, and you find out that there's been layoffs, 
and everybody, God forbid, and there's been layoffs, and everybody is just crushed, but there's one person who's crushed, but they're actually like seem really hopeful and happy, while everybody else is just completely deflated. That would be highly questionable behavior, right? That would be questionable living. People would ask, like, do you understand what the pink slip means? Like, do you, do you know what's happening? Why, like, why are you so hopeful? Do you have a bank account in the Cayman Islands that we don't know about? How, how are you so happy about this when all the rest of us are rightfully so incredibly stressed wondering how we're going to make it through this month's rent? That would be highly questionable behavior rooted in hope that begs and demands a question and an answer. Peter is showing us through the original hearer's experience of suffering, he's saying, you have a hope that's imperishable, unfading, undefiled, as he says in chapter one. You have this hope in Jesus that is so eternal, so unshakable, so deep, so rich, that you can persevere through suffering. And when people see you persevere through suffering, they're going to ask you, how are you able to do that? I see that you're hurt, but you've got something. What is it? How? And explain it to me. And while the original context for the hearers here is hope and suffering, I think we can still pull out the principle and the idea that is behind this is that Christians, people who have received the grace of Jesus and trust in Jesus as their Savior, there ought to be a flavor about us because of our hope in Jesus that makes our lives distinct in a way that people ask questions, that our lives look questionable in particular ways. Now, this doesn't mean people who don't know Jesus aren't great people. You don't need to be a Christian to be a good and amazing person. That's clearly not what the Bible teaches. But this text is saying there ought to be something unique and distinct about people who claim to know the creator of the universe and have an eternal hope rooted within him. So Peter says this. This is why he gives this charge in 15. He says, always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. So he's assuming that people will see the lives of these believers in suffering and see their hope and see something question-worthy in your life. Right, imagine this, right? Imagine for the original hearers. Neighbors ridiculing them, and yet they're still kind. Being dragged into court unjustly and still being respectful to the officials. It's questionable living that demands a question and begs an answer. And here's what's really incredible about what what Peter is showing here in this text is this type of questionable living, these these type of questionable lives, they basically create a captivated, a self-captive audience that is wanting to know what is it about you in this area of your life that leads you to live this way. When followers of Jesus get what's happening in this text, people will be coming to you asking for you to explain to them about what it is that you believe. Which when we think about uh, people, uh, Christians, or people uh, of faith sharing, sharing what they believe, that's usually not how we think of it, right? We usually think of some really forced exchange, some really kind of like awkward conversation. We're like, wow, the sky is beautiful uh, today. Yeah, you know who lives in the sky? Do you know what happened? Like some just weird, just awkward, forced transition to try to get to a spiritual topic. What Peter is showing us, there's certainly a time and a place for bringing up a topic and doing it, but with respect and gentleness and love the way you would want someone to do it with you. But Peter is showing us there's actually a way of living if we really believe in Jesus that will have people at times coming to us, asking us to tell them about Christ. 
which I don't know about you guys, but is not the thing that I see even in my life all the time. So I think we've got to figure out and get to the bottom of this. So first, before we can even work through what this would look like, what this would entail, I think we need to ask uh, this question right now. In general, do you live a life, and again, not, not in the highly questionable negative sense, because we can find plenty of people that do that. Um, in the positive sense, do you live a life that requires questions? Does the way that you live in your average, ordinary week demand any questions? Does the way you love your spouse demand any questions? Does the way you treat your roommates demand any questions? Does the way you're devoted to Jesus reflect in your daily life that demands any questions? Does the way that you operate at work, in and amongst gossip and chaos and drama, as a teacher, um, as, a, as a cashier, um, in the lab, does it demand any questions? Does the way you interact with your grouchy neighbors demand any questions? Do you live the questionable life that Peter shows we're called to? A life marked by obedience to the teachings of Jesus to love God, love our neighbor, follow Christ. Do you see evidence in people saying, why do you do that? That's amazing. Or that's ordinary, but I would never think of that. And that's really kind to you. Why do you do that? When's the last time somebody asked you, why are you so hopeful? When's the last time somebody asked you, why are you so kind to me? When's the last time somebody asked you, why are you so generous with your time or helping me with this or your money if you have some? Right? When's the last time you've heard some of these questions? These are the signs of a questionable life that, that flow, we're going to see that flow from being connected to Jesus. And, and, and let me also distinguish, uh, distinguish this, right? Being nice is not the questionable living that Peter's talking about here, right? Like, like just being a nice, uh, decent human being is, is not what Peter's talking about here. That's just kind of the baseline um, that we would hope and assume that we're all trying to do and all people everywhere um, are doing. Uh, Peter is talking about a, a questionable living that, that goes beyond the baseline of, of, of living, breathing, saying hi to neighbors, not punching people in the face, face uh, things like that, right? Okay, so if you're punching people in the face, that's the questionable living that we don't want, okay? Is that clear? Okay, good. Some people are like, mm, right? <laughs> you said questionable living, give me a break. Um, we don't want that, okay? So, so this is what Peter is laying out, and, and here's what we need to see is that the mission of Jesus, making the gospel known, helping other people who know Jesus grow with Jesus, and helping those who don't know Jesus know Jesus and put their faith in him, the mission of Jesus accelerates dramatically when we actually live questionable lives. Because people are then inviting themselves to come and ask you about this Savior. Neighbors invite us to share about Jesus when we actually live questionable lives. So, so how does this happen, right? I know as I've been thinking about this, I've been challenged like, man, I, like, this, is a ch this is a challenging text. This is a challenging call. So, so I think we also have to examine how, how does this happen? We're called to live questionable lives that accelerate the mission of Jesus because they invite people to come. and They're going to say, I want to know why you do what you do. But the question is how, right? Sounds amazing. Sounds great. 
how? Well, 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 here's the how. Notice the order of verses 14 and 15, right? So Peter's going to start off by saying, have no what? Have no, no fear. You guys remember that, Brandon? No fear, like third grade, right? Have no fear, right? So Peter's going to start by saying, hey, have no fear. We don't see this because we're not doing this whole book, but he roots that all in the hope of chapter one. Right, that, um, that, that through Jesus we've been born again to a living hope um, that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for heaven in us. And we're being guarded by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter is saying there in those verses, uh, 1, uh, 1, 3 through 11, he's basically outlining, he's saying, through Jesus, you have an eternal hope that nobody can touch. That's not going to rot. It's not going to go away. Suffering can't take it away from you. Your brokenness can't snatch it away from you. Nothing is going to take this eternal hope and salvation and love from God that you have through Jesus. Nothing can touch it. And it's being rooted in that hope that then produces this questionable living. That's why Peter says, have no fear. And then he goes again to this second thing. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then he says, Be ready to make a defense. Be ready to explain. Be ready to unpack when people ask you why you have the hope that you have, why you live the way that you do, why you believe what it is that you believe. So so notice notice this order, right? The basis then of a questionable life that is so powerful in attracting people to hear about the gospel is rooted in the person who is the hero of the gospel, Jesus Christ. That's why Peter starts by saying this, honor Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts. And out of that, out of that, this questionable living will flow. This life that demands a question will follow. But the order is first being rooted, being connected, being, um, being blown away by, being anchored to the hope that's in Christ. And the questions and the living and the attraction and the invitations that flow from that. Notice the way Peter puts this. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is, a, this is an important language. He's not just, um, just looking for some alliteration like heart, um, honor, and holy. Let me string together a couple H's and it'll sound great. He's actually really making some, some points here. And he's showing us something when he says heart. Heart in scripture is, is, the, is the cockpit. It's the control center of a person. It's the thing that they treasure the most that dictates everything else about them. The way that they think, the way that they live, the things that are desirable to them, the things that are undesirable, the things that they like, the things that they dislike, all flow from the heart. Which is why Jesus says, out of the, uh, out of the abundance of the what? The heart, the mouth speaks. Right? So, so if you've got a person who all they do is put people down, right? It's not like they just need to go to like a three-day boot camp to like learn how to give compliments. They have a heart problem, right? There's there's something here that's coming out in their actions. And what Peter is saying here, he's saying is that if you want to live this generous life, this kind life, this gracious life that becomes attractive and questionable to people, there's got to be something that's happening in your heart, that's happening in your heart, because that's not normal behavior for us. He says that above your safety, above your comfort, above your convenience, above reputation, the thing that's got to capture your heart is the fact of Jesus Christ loving you, pouring his mercy on you, substituting himself for you upon the cross so that you 
could have a hope that will never fade, never end, be eternally secure with God your creator. That's got to be what's honored in your heart. That's what's got to be, uh, Peter says, holy. It's this idea of set apart. Supreme and set apart. Why don't you think about it this way? There's probably something in your house that's kind of set apart. Or a possession you have that's set apart. It's that thing that you have that when people come over, you want to show it to them, but they don't get to touch it. You guys have that thing? Right? Does anybody have that thing? This thing is like, hey, I want to show you this because it's awesome, but like keep your hands behind your back. Like don't get your fingers on it. Don't touch this. This thing is set apart for me. This is a special thing that like that matters and it's amazing and I love it, but like don't touch it. Don't get it dirty. Right? So every time my wife gets something new, some new furniture, it's pretty much set apart in our home. Right? And it, we use it, but it's like you make sure you don't scratch these chairs. You make sure this new bureau like doesn't get uh, milk from the toddlers on it. Like this thing is special. I want people to see it, but it's set apart. This is a prized possession in our home. This is a thing that I treasure. Peter is saying questionable living flows out of a heart that says, Jesus, because of what you've done, you're my treasure. You're my set apart thing. You're, you're the thing that, that, that I love because of the love that you first shown to me. And when Christ is set apart in our hearts like that, questionable living flows easily. Here's what I want you to think about this, though, because this is so critical. The setting apart of Christ is holy in our hearts. What do you think about like this? I think of the things that are usually set apart as holy in my heart. The things that, that I love that I don't want anybody to touch. You know what one of them is? Can I tell you? You guys won't tell anybody, right? Just keep it here. Okay. I love comfort. Right? How many, how many of you guys love comfort? Just love when things are easy. Right? When it's just you and nobody else on the earth. You're just like, this thing, this thing is so easy. Right? When it's just, when just, when just things are just simple and easy. And there's, there's, there's no emails, there's no, there's no phone calls, there's no responsibilities, right? Doesn't sound like a giant fantasy, right? When just things are just important, it's like, you know what my to-do list today is? One nap followed by another nap, right? This is, this is the week of the nap, right? Uh, comfort, right? Comfort. Comfort's something that I'll set apart as holy in my life. I'll arrange things in my life to, to, to obey the God of comfort. Like, how can I do certain things this way, this way, so I have an, an, a quiet time with comfort? So I can just be with comfort, right? Is it, am, I, am I crazy? Am I the only one? Right? We, we love comfort. We love to sit. And rest is good. Did you know that the Sabbath rest is actually a command in Scripture? God loves to, to tell us to rest. Jesus took naps. Sometimes the most, and you can't just say, oh, Jesus did this, so we must do it, right? We don't all need to die um, and, and be crucified. But we, we can see that rest is a good thing in Scripture. But, but I'm saying this love of rest and comfort as escape, as, as a way of setting apart as holy, it, there's, a, there's a problem there. Convenience is another thing that I think will set apart as holy, that we'll love and that we don't want anyone to touch, right? But these things don't give us much in return. When we set apart convenience and comfort as holy, do you know what we get in return? We just got another pile of responsibilities that we didn't actually get to, right? It doesn't solve anything for us. It just delays things. Real rest actually is good and, re and recharges. So let me ask you this, right? Think of what is that thing that you would set apart as holy in your life, as the treasure of your life, as the untouchable thing of your life? Comfort, safety, reputation, appearance. 
power, control, money, status, family, right? Any good thing that you'll set apart as holy. And let me ask you, what does it actually give you? And let me compare to Christ, who Peter will later say, suffered for our sins, the righteous, the perfect one, for the unrighteous. That he would give himself for us. Who has done better than that for you? Who has done better than God himself coming down into human history, Christ the Son, and giving his life for you? Who has done better? Right? So Christ is set apart, actually gives us something real, something that we need. It's far superior than everything else that we'll set apart as holy. So part of the reason, if you go back to the questions, when's the last time someone said, why are you so kind? Part of the reason why uh, you may not live a questionable life like Peter is calling for here is because comfort is the Lord set apart in your heart. Not really Jesus. That by belief, Jesus is the Lord of your life. And I'm not saying, I'm not questioning that. But in practice, comfort might really be set apart in your heart. Or convenience. Because guess what? When convenience or comfort or reputation is set apart in your heart, the questions that guide you are not, how can I honor Jesus by loving and serving people the way he has served me? The questions that guide and control your mind are, me, 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 me. What is going to be, you're not going to ask, how can I help? What can I do to serve you? You're going to ask, what can you do for me? Or how can I get out of this conversation with as little responsibility put on me extra as possible? So Christ set apart in our hearts is crucial. We must see the gospel. We must see the cross and be changed by it through believing in it. Because a questionable life is not comfortable, not convenient. Just like the mission of Jesus is fun, amazing, purposeful, but slow hard, uncomfortable, and costly. So it's only when the gospel of Jesus melts away all of these other hopes that we uh, set apart as holy in our hearts, it's only when Jesus melts those away by showing his grace is better that questionable lives will happen and we'll be freed to live them. So now I want to actually show what does that look like? What, is it, what does this look like, this questionable, um, this questionable life? Um, and I want to I give you this. Uh, a questionable life that Peter's talking about here, it, it, it comes from, from really uh, two, two keys, and then I want to give you uh, five ways that you can actually do this. My hope is that this will be helpful and that you'll actually, uh, myself included, be able to think, okay, here's how I can embody this type of living that Jesus calls me to. Um, here, here are two, two keys to this questionable life um, that, that Peter is outlining for us that comes from hope in the gospel. One is that you have to realize that Jesus, when he gives his saving grace to us, and when we trust in his, his gospel, his sacrifice, his resurrection for our sins to restore us to God, we have to understand that when that happens, we not only become fully beloved by God, and we're not only children of God, but we are also by identity ambassadors of God. So one of the keys to living this questionable life that Peter talks about is that we have to realize that the gospel not only restores us to God, but by identity gives us a new purpose in God's world. That the gospel by identity gives us a new purpose in God's world. We are ambassadors of Jesus. And it's not even a thing like, oh, I'm a good ambassador and I'm not, so I'm not really one. It's like, no, you might be good, you might be bad, you might be totally new, but you are an ambassador. 
right? Like my kids are always my kids, even when they're crazy. Even when Julian is like punching me and kicking me, right? He is still my child. Nothing, will abs- nothing can ever change that. Do you know two unshakable facts of the gospel? You are beloved by God, irrespective of your failures or successes through the work of Christ. He was successful for you. He was obedient for you. He took all of your uh, sin, guilt, shame, and, and paid for it and threw it away. It's done for. That can never be changed. And you know what else can never be changed about your identity? You are an ambassador of Jesus for as long as you are living, moving, and breathing on this awesome place called earth. That never changes. So once you understand that, then you start to orient your whole life and mind around this. Wow, I, I thought God not only loves me as his child, but I'm an ambassador of Jesus? You start to say, okay, right, ambassador of Jesus. Well, well, what does Jesus call me? How does Jesus call me to live? Well, well, let's think of this. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that means an ambassador of Jesus is probably somebody who ought to be doing what? Serving people loving Christ above all others, pointing others to Christ through what they say, but also how they live. So now you start to ask questions like, how can I bless that person? Right, questions that you may never have asked before. Maybe you have, but now you have a motivation that says, well, I don't need to bless them to feel good about myself. I just want to bless them because I've been blessed by Jesus. So everything begins to change. So you must see you're an ambassador of Jesus by identity the moment you believe in Jesus's grace. And the second thing you need to see is that your life is already brimming with possibilities for this questionable living. Your life is already brimming with relationships that, that, that matter and that God wants to work through. You don't need to hear this and think, oh, mission of Jesus, questionable living. First Peter 3, I need to go meet 45 new people. I need to sign up for 75 new things. You, don't, you probably don't need to do anything other than change the way you think and believe this text to be true, and believe the gospel, and then respond to it. Some people hear these things and they think, okay, I'm going to sign up for 45 book clubs. I'm going to join this gym. This is, this is me. I'm going to join this gym and never go, and that gym and never go so I can meet more people, right? You probably know a ton of people that God is already at work in their lives, and God wants to invite you into that story. How many of you guys live next to people? Like there's people that live within like a, a, like a, a 10-foot radius of you. Some of you don't live with you. Some of you live on islands. Okay, <laughs> I live next to people. Sorry, just wanted to see your hand go up. <laughs> right. So, so there's already people in our lives. We work with people. We know people. Um, all of those things. There's right. Our life is already brimming with possibilities to embody this intentionality um, that that Peter is calling us to. Right. So, so here's this intentionality identity thing. I put it in this phrase that that I borrowed from a church man in the UK named Steve Timmis. It's ordinary life with gospel intentionality. It's ordinary living with this intentionality that says, I'm an ambassador of Jesus, which means I go to represent him. My life is to show him off. I want to embody the, the authority and the one that I know, love, and serve. Right? So living ordinary life with gospel intentionality is one of the ways to do this questionable living. And then here's, here's the practical, right? I want to introduce this, this concept to you. Um, just five, five rhythms or habits that, that will help you live out Jesus' mission to point people and to, to make the gospel known. And that will, uh, that will be questionable living that people will ask you, why do you do this? Some caveats. You don't do this as, uh, as a way to turn people to a project. You do this because Jesus has captured your heart and you love others. 
and you don't do this as a formula. Well, I did this, so now I'm expecting this. No, you just do it. If nothing happens, you keep doing it because you do it because Jesus has captured your heart and you love those that God loves, which is all people. So first thing, this is an acronym um, from, a, from a writer named uh, Michael Frost. Um, and uh, the acronym is BELLS. You guys say BELLS? BELLS, okay. See, now you're not going to forget it. You just said it. You're never going to forget that. Um, BELLS, right? These are rhythms, right, to, to, to live this questionable living that comes from hope rooted in the gospel. First one, BELLS is to bless, to bless people. Now, bless is a word that, uh, that has almost no meaning to us, right, um, because of... Uh, hit music songs, and it's just kind of like a, just a random phrase. Um, but, but bless, this is, a, this is the, the language behind bless is this idea of building up, this idea of seeking someone's good, this idea of filling with encouragement. Um, bless, and actually in a lot of ways in the scriptures, is, is to like, almost to congratulate. Um, and so think of it as, as building up, seeking good. And, and, and here's one way to live a questionable life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge you to, to do this, not to earn God's favor, but because it's offered to you in Christ. But to actually live, if you, wanna, if you really want to do this, if you really want to do this and you really want to participate in the mission of Jesus by living in this way. And I think if you're, uh, if you're, if Redeemer's your home church, you, you've got to be on board with mission. Otherwise, you probably would have left a long time ago. Like we want to see people who don't know Jesus know Jesus. We want to see people who know Jesus know Jesus more. If you're really want to do this, hear these things and then, and then do them um, and, and, and pray and see what God does. So, so bless, bless three people every week. Bless like a doom, doom. I mean, bless everybody you see, right? But, but actually like stop and be like, I'm going to bless three people this week and make sure at least one of them is not part of, if Redeemer's your home, make sure one of them is not part of, uh, not part of the church. Bless three people each week. Seek their good, build them up, encourage them. And, and, and here, here's how. Words of affirmation. Mark Twain has this quote. He said, I can, I can live off a good compliment for two months. Which I'm like, yeah, I can do like ten. I can live like my whole life off like four compliments. Just got to write them down. Um, so remember, put them on a shirt, right? Bless, like, like bless three people every week. Make that a rhythm of your life. Because we've been blessed by Jesus. He came down and died for us. Right? So here's how. Words of affirmation. Acts of kindness. Gifts. I mean, let me ask you this. When's the last time you affirmed or complimented somebody? Right? Roommate, spouse. Someone in your gospel community. Coworker, boss, friend. The last time you stop, and and this, and here's the here's the incredible thing: is like it doesn't take much to give somebody a word of affirmation, right? It, it's not like you need to like write, you don't you don't actually have to write a letter or like file it with the like you don't have, you could just go up to them and say, hey, I saw you did this. You know what? That was really great, and and that really reflects this. And I see that in your life. That's awesome. I just want to just thank you. Right? Words of affirmation, acts of kindness, gifts doesn't have to be money. Right? Think of how many people would be encouraged in your life if you took uh, five minutes and wrote a card to them, telling them something about them that you love, something about them that you're thankful for, and said, hey, I thank God because you're my friend. You know, it doesn't matter what somebody believes, but if somebody hears that, they're like, hey, all right. right? You're just, you're just going to see a little pep, like, man. How, and let me ask you this. How many of the friends or the people in your life feel, seem really encouraged and refreshed? Like, would you categorize the people in your life as encouraged, refreshed, incredibly joyful, and hopeful people? 
Or would you say that people kind of are just trying to get through stuff? Right? If we actually make blessing people a rhythm of our life, that will change. So, so blessing people, right? Imagine, you're, imagine one of your neighbors saying a few months from now, why do you keep going out of your way to be so nice to me? Imagine your coworker saying like, man, when you first started saying kind things to me every once in a while, I thought you were just like trying to get me to take on your project. But now, but now, like I, I see this is like, this, this, is, this really is, means something. Why do you do that? You're saying you, you will get wide open doors to talk about who God is, why you bless, because you've been blessed by Christ. And that blessing of salvation is extended to everybody. So bless. Second one is uh, one of the favorite things uh, of mine, and I think everyone to do, is to eat. Bells, bless, eat, right? Uh, Frost says this. He says to eat uh, with three people each week, at least one of whom is, again, not part of your church. Did you know that one of the descriptions for Jesus that describes how he came into human history to, to purchase salvation for us and to, to redeem us is in uh, Luke 7.34. It says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. I don't think you can stretch that out and do a bunch of stuff with that, but it does tell us something, that there is something special about stopping, sitting, eating, and being with people. Slowing down over food, asking questions, inviting someone into your life, learning their story, sharing yours, inviting someone into the real you, seeing and hearing the real them, is a way to do questionable living. And to actually, I'll charge you to do this. I would actually charge you to think about before that meal, ask God and say, what are some, help me to love them by listening to them. Help me to love them by thinking of thoughtful questions to ask them. Right, God, what does this person maybe need to hear today? And to see the table as a way to embody the hospitality of Jesus where he has come for us and at the table we can, uh, he's come for us and given his life for us and at the table we can open our lives to others and invite them into ours. I, I I would charge you to literally build this into your schedule. I would charge you to actually think of what are three places in my week where I can actually share a meal with somebody? You probably do this already, but maybe with more intentionality, right? Where I can actually have a meal with someone in an intentional way. All right, you can do this if you're single, if you're married, if you're in a dorm, roommates. If you can't cook, you can go out, which is really fun. Um, it's a great excuse. I can't cook. We got to go out again. Yay. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm not your budget planner, so don't don't run with that. Right. But you but uh, what I'm saying is this stage of life where we at, you, you can do you can do this. Right. And the gospel motive is hospitality, the way God has extended it to us. Um, L and Bell's uh, listen, listen to God through his word and ask the Holy Spirit for direction. On who to bless, who to eat with, who to care for, who to encourage who to serve, right? Ask God, like, ask God every week, God, is there somebody in my life right now that just needs to be served and loved in a way, in a certain way? Would you show that to me? Would you put that, God, I'm, this is, the, this is how I would pray it. God, I'm stubborn and lazy. Would you make this really clear to me who it is that you want me to bless this week, right? And you know what will probably happen to me? Someone will come knock on my door like, I need help, right? That's, that's how it has to work for me, right? But ask God, how, how, how he wants that to happen in your life. And listen to God through his word so that your hope is rooted in Christ. 
through the week so that you can actually embody this generosity that flows from seeing and believing the generosity and the grace of Jesus. Second L is to, uh, to learn Christ. Um, again, so that uh, the, the order and the, the motive of this is again always attached to Jesus. Right? We can't just be doing this just to do this. Right? We want to do this out of a heart that says, uh, Christ, you've done this for me. I want to do it for others. Not out of a heart that says, well, I'm going to do this and feel better about myself now. Or I'm going to do this and look better than others. Or I'm going to do this just because it's going to kind of comfort and cover up the guilt and shame in my life. No, 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 no. Christ has taken care of all of that. We want to root ourselves in him and then bless others the way he's called us to. And people are then going to beg and say, hey, tell me about this Savior. So, so learn Christ. Here are two ways you can do this. Um, every time you read the Bible, ask this question, how is Jesus Christ the hero of this passage? Don't leave your time in the scriptures without seeing how it connects to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. He's the hero of the Bible, as he says in Luke 24. I would encourage you maybe think about it like this. Um, maybe set aside one time a week to soak up time in one of the four gospel sections of the Bible to really learn and increase your awe of Jesus in a very specific way. Notice again what Peter says. He says, when you, when you behold what Christ has done for you, who he is, this is the living that flows. This is what comes when you're confronted with that grace and that truth. When that awe happens. Um, the last one is S, um, and again is is, uh, is is tying us back to ordinary life with gospel intentionality. Um, the last one is S sent. So you have bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. Just again understand that what the reason, one of the primary reasons that you are here is to uh, on, uh, here not here in this room, um, but also probably here in this room, um, but on on earth living right now is that. God wants to have a relationship with you, and God actually wants to use you in the story and lives of others to help do the same. Otherwise, God would just renew all things right now. God would just shut... Do you, do you, do you watch the news and see how much decay and death and destruction and just depressing things are happening on earth? You wonder, why, God, why won't you shut this down, renew everything, um, send Jesus back, uh, bring new heavens and new earth, and set all things right? Do you know why he's not doing that? Because God has people that he's working in their lives and drawing them to Jesus. God is not done showing grace and mercy to people. And guess what? We're invited to not only receive that, but participate in seeing and being there next to people when the penny of the gospel drops and it makes sense and they say, wow, Jesus really is who he says he is. Right? So, so this is a purpose and identity thing. Right? That God wants to bring us into his work of cosmic renewal. And one of the things I love about how Jesus is doing this work is that the work of this mission that Jesus is on through the broken, busted, goofy, and awesome group of people called the church, that work is not dependent on the people who are always up front. Right? So for, for specifics, the mission of Redeemer does not sink or swim with me preaching. The mission of Redeemer sinks or swims with us in prayer and living um, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. 
right? That like, like I, like, so, so you, you have to know this and hear this. This is your own church, right? The mission of Redeemer is it's not like, hey, bring people here. Hopefully God is going to preach great and things are going to happen. Hey, that's, that's not the way this works. This works based on the way that you live and the way that I live in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and when we're outside of this building. This matters for sure. But most of the work is it praying, loving, blessing, eating, listening, learning, sharing, crying, being there, serving next to people in real life. And if we get this gospel order that Peter is laying out, that setting, um, setting Christ apart in our hearts is holy because we've seen and been blown away by the gospel, and then we're now living questionable lives that, that say, wow, tell me why you bless the way you bless. Tell me why you're generous the way you are. That begs questions, then we will see Jesus do incredible work in our lives, drawing us closer to him. But we'll also see him do work in the lives of the people around us. And there's nothing more exciting than seeing somebody understand that they are not only made by God, but beloved by God, and Christ is for them. So that's the invitation that we have. And it comes from the gospel order of seeing Christ, believing on him in our hearts, setting him apart as the treasure of our hearts and our lives, and then embodying the living that the scripture commands us to. Blessing, eating, listening, learning, loving, sharing, and serving.